The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. And tonight, we're going to be talking about the pulps, uh, what they were, where they took us, and how they still affect media even today. And of course, we can't talk pulps in Canada without involving uh, the creator of Canada's greatest superhero, the Red Panda, and the master of Dakota Ring Theater, Greg Taylor. Ah, that's awful nice of you to say. You, you <laughs> probably can, but I'm glad you didn't. Well, no, Greg, I absolutely wouldn't want to do it without you. You are, as far as I know, the master of pulps when it comes to Canada. Uh, I'm, uh, not a, I'm not an expert, but I am an enthusiast, and I'm looking forward to the discussion. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. All right, so I think we better start out by just discussing, well, what pulps are, because there may be a few poor, uninformed people that aren't actually familiar with what the heck we're talking about. So, mm. Greg, can you give us a bit of background about what pulps are or were? On the spot, uh, yeah. Um, there, there was a, uh, a brief shining moment at uh, the in the early part of the last century, where um, uh, cheap paper mm-hmm. and uh, affordable printing and the fact that uh, human life was fairly cheap, especially that of writers, um, mm-hmm. meant that uh, uh, everybody's hobby was reading. Mm-hmm. Everybody read. Everybody read for pleasure. Everybody read all the time. Um, books were everywhere on a newsstand, beautiful, colorful covers and ridiculous subject matter and and uh, uh, and anything that was likely to grab your eye and keep it long enough to part you with a dime. Um, and uh, and and these were these were the pulps. There's uh, it's it's a it's a vast subject. There was uh, you know I, I've spent a lot more time with uh, the hero pulps, but there were there were the right. western pulps and the sports pulps. And uh, the aviation pulps, detective stories, science fiction really, you know, came mm-hmm. into a, a golden period um, through the pulps. The era lasted for, for decades. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's different, different parts that, uh, that I know better and, and that other folks know better. But it's a, a really, it's a, a fascinating time. And it gave birth to a lot of different stories and styles that we still play with today. But the, the thing that I love about the entire pulp era is just the fact mm-hmm. that reading was the hobby of the masses. Right. It was something that everyone literally could enjoy instead of something that was for a few, mm-hmm. uh, it mm-hmm. seems, these days, or, or, or uninterested in the opinions of the great unwashed. The pulps were entirely for the great unwashed. The more unwashed, the better. At, well, at that time, weren't there also uh, stories running in newspapers? Didn't the newspapers back then also run like some fiction as well? A lot, a lot did. Um, it was uh, just a, a legitimate use of ink. Mm-hmm. And and as I say, you know, cheap paper. Yeah. Um, 
was uh, and now there were、um, even then there were there were the pulps and、mm-hmm. there were the slicks. Okay. And the slicks were printed on much much nicer paper.、Um, they、right. uh, and that that is where your high class、uh, fiction. Would be published, and if you were working in the pulps, you really probably wanted to also, you know, be working in the slicks because they they paid much better. Right.、Um, of course. But that was、uh, that was a, a part of it. But there's also uh, uh, so many uh, styles and and characters, particularly you know the、uh, golden period of、uh, American detective stories、um, that uh, began uh,、mm-hmm. after World War Two and and carried it on right through the fifties. So many uh, uh, writers had their start there, or even、um, there's a, a wonderful collection of the uh, uh, the Western pulps of Elmore Leonard, who is much better known for crime fiction,、mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but started out his career. He was a uh, uh, an advertising executive、um, working in D- Detroit for、uh, one of the big automakers, and he wanted to be a writer, and so he would get up at you know five in the morning. And uh, he would uh, spend a couple of hours writing these Western stories,、um, and then、mm-hmm. which, which he sent all over the country, and and、uh, they were published in a lot. You know, he's he's from Michigan. He didn't really necessarily know have any great personal knowledge about the American <laughs> West, but he knew the the Western pulps were popular, and he'd read enough of them that he、right. could. Uh, you know, pass with some authority, and、uh, well, wonderful stories, many of which, like almost everything Elmer Leonard has done, have、uh, have been adapted into、uh, movies and time and again. But、uh, and and then he went off to work,、mm-hmm. and、uh, and and came back and started it all the next day. So、uh, it was a, a period where the business of being a writer was m- a much more active thing. Mm-hmm. It was,、uh, you know, there, there. This was, this was a craft that was in demand to a degree that、mm-hmm. maybe it hasn't been since.、Uh, and there、mm-hmm. were some, there were some wonderful things written for the pulps. There were some dreadful things written for the pulps. And the great thing is, some of them are the same things. Wow,、uh, I don't even know where that. You've just opened up so many doors. I'm not sure where to go from there.、Um, Don, did you have a question? <laughs> Well, I was just gonna say,、um, you mentioned the slicks, and that's the stuff I think for a modern person, that was more like what we consider a magazine, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they all were they all were magazines, but、uh, it's something a, a lot more.、Um, it would be more familiar to us,、yeah. uh, in terms of content and style, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, there's there's something wonderful about. The, the pulp era and the <laughs> covers, which were just trying to, you know, outshout each other in <laughs> reds and yellows and and bold gestures and girls in terrible, terrible danger of <laughs> fate worse than death and you know really just a lot of incredibly not at all politically correct and and、uh, and I you know. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I am I am glad that I live in a world where cultural standards have progressed to the point that a lot of the things that were done to sell books in those days、um, are <laughs> are just not acceptable anymore.、Mm-hmm. But I'm also glad, in a way, that that I have access to that world、um, through some of the the genuinely ridiculous things、uh, in in the pulps. I mean, the the Yellow Peril stories、um, really had their their Ooh, home、yeah. in, in the pulps, and they're Just, just 
if if you set out to write the most incredibly offensive thing you possibly could, <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. think that you could do better than a lot of these. But at the same time, when you when you examine them as this is a a mass market thriller, a lot of them are like, yes, it's a damn good mass market thriller that makes me cringe <laughs> with with what an awful thing you've written, right? Uh, <laughs> Um, so it's, there's, there's a lot of those, uh, those mixed feelings, uh, when, when you get into, into the pulps for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, they had their sensibilities and you have to take them as products of their time. It's true. It's true. And, uh, and be glad that we don't continue to live Mm -hmm. in that time. But, uh, (laughs) even, even things that are, were not like a a full on yellow peril story, like in, in a lot of the hero pulps, uh, when the hero would run up against, uh, you know, various, uh, oriental gangs or, 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 uh, opposition, um, uh, even in cases where, you know, the opposition was, was brilliant and Mm -hmm. given a great deal of credit, it still manages to be, you know, pretty deeply (laughs) offensive at the same time. Uh, so there's no, there's no defending that aspect of it beyond to say that uh the stories and and the guts of the idea of this is a mm-hmm. good old-fashioned 60,000 word adventure novel we take the protagonist mm-hmm. we heap tragedy upon him and we just keep piling it up until he it, the situation absolutely can't take any more and then we burn it all down and uh, <laughs> right. and and, and yeah. that in a nutshell is is what makes it go yeah and that probably describes a huge percentage of the pulps, or at least the hero pulps. <laughs> yeah, to to an extent. I mean, the the one that I started uh, reading a, a lot of, uh, like a lot of people, is The Shadow. And for me, the mm-hmm. relationship um, came mm-hmm. from uh, uh, the character originated in the pulps. And uh, after seven or eight years of being uh, tremendously popular, became a radio show, which ended up becoming much better known, as these right. things often do the radio show retained certain key elements um uh, but the but the pulp character of the shadow is very 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 different um than uh the character that uh, that people know uh, from the radio i love both of them very much mm-hmm. uh, but i discovered the the pulp shadow um through uh through the radio show and that led me into that world of uh you know uh, mm-hmm. brother characters and uh, and imitators and others and they all have their own uh their own virtues um you know the 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 shadow um is uh the manifestation of a character that has really uh stayed with us and i don't think he was the first but he was one of the best uh, in an era where you know we think of the early days of the the pulp era or the or the meat of the pulp era being in in the depression years um where Yes, anyone who's got a, a dime to spend on you know a, 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 on a weekly uh, novel, uh, it's an element of luxury at that point. Um, but uh, but it created that idea of a character who for whom their their superpower, if you will, was really just having money and resources and being willing to use those resources uh, for the betterment of society as opposed to for their own self-interest. Um, is a very uh, The world, as was known, had collapsed in a lot of ways. And in, in the, the wreckage and, and darkness of that period, um, the, the pulps and the hero stories 
uh, created a, an element of light and of uh, hope that people needed. Um, and uh, the the shadow, it was sort of the the first mystery man whose identity was so mysterious that even the audience didn't know it, which is glorious. Um, and uh, um, uh, so that was wonderful. Uh, and uh, and uh, a lot of the the traditions that uh, uh, permeated through to into other media, and that we uh, that we know the hero with his agents and operatives, and uh, again, probably not the first, um, but uh, um, but definitely uh, one of the one of the greatest. Um, and then uh, on the the other end of that, the the Superman to his Batman, in, in a lot of ways, was uh, 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 Doc Savage, who was this very uh, clean cut. Um, uh, again, in an era where there were no superpowers, um, but uh, he was brilliant and good at everything. That was his power. He was incredibly good at everything, and uh, uh, you know, um, and uh, again, the the helpers and and operatives, and is uh, very very fondly remembered. Um, and and these things these things ran for. Years and years and years, and the sheer volume of material is incredible. And what's really incredible is that, in a lot of the cases, they were driven primarily by um, one creator, which is really remarkable. Um, and when you come to the Shadow, for example, um, that uh, uh, mm-hmm. creator was uh, uh, a man named uh, Walter Gibson, and who uh, the Shadow novels were all published under the the house name Maxwell Grant. Uh, because mm-hmm. Street and Smith mm. wanted to own the writer, and so if the writer was also a fictional character, then you know any actual writer became inconsequential and uh, and Gibson managed to uh, to work past that limitation by sheer force of his will mm-hmm. he to my knowledge he 'd never really written fiction before he'd right. uh, he 'd written a lot of books on magic he was very interested in in uh, magic, and he was uh, a newspaper man. Uh, and somehow he wound up being engaged to write uh, this this first book about this character that they had as kind of a thin character sketch at that point. They didn't really know very mm-hmm. much about him. Um, and uh, and he wrote the first one, and they said, great, you know, you can write the first year's worth. That'll be four novels. Mm-hmm. And Gibson being Gibson, he, uh, he said, wow, that's great. I can probably knock these out in a month or so and then go on holiday. Mm-hmm. And so he did, and they said, that's great, uh, because the first one sold like crazy, so we're going to a monthly instead of a quarterly. Mm-hmm. And and he's like, well, okay, you know, the money's pretty good. So he wrote a, a bunch more um, to mm-hmm. get ahead so that he could work on some other projects. And they said, that's terrific. We're going to go bi-monthly. Or if I got that right, uh, we're going to go every two weeks anyway. Wow, uh, bi-weekly. And, Bi-weekly, oh, there we are. Yeah. Uh, and they, um, and uh, I always get semi-monthly. And, and Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yep. <laughs> um, and he was just churning these things out. Uh, he had traveled with two typewriters at all times because he, <laughs> if one broke down, he didn't have time to stop to get it fixed. Right. Um, he owned uh, several um, world records for like sheer volume of words written over the course of a year. Hmm. Because he also would continue to to write other things, uh, which is baffling. Or he'd, you know, if he uh, 
you know, he had 14 days to get this book written, so he'd write it in nine and take some time off. Um, but wow. we, so the shadow <laughs> novels tend to be set wherever he was at the time. If right. he went on holiday to Florida for a month, then you'd get two shadow novels set in Florida. If he was spending time going back and forth to Washington, D.C., you'd have an era where uh, the, the shadow was going to Washington, D.C. all the time because I think he's looking out the train window and, and writing what he sees. <laughs> Right. Um, but within that, there's lovely, lovely, you know, uh, adventure stories. Um, did not have the greatest ear for dialogue early on. He developed that as mm -hmm. as uh, it passes and, and that quality uh, increases. Um, but he had, because there was this character that we didn't really know anything about, you know, the mystery man whose identity was so mysterious that even the audience didn't know his name. <laughs> It meant that he could do different kinds of stories. And he very, very quickly uh, twigged into the thing that I think kept it fresh and kept him able to work on it so long, which was ideas like the proxy hero story. Every once in a while, you'd meet mm -hmm. a character for the first time. You didn't know this character. And mm -hmm. he'd find himself in a strange situation. And gradually he'd figure out that he was being manipulated and he'd have a chance to join forces with this this force of nature behind uh, thwarting someone's evil plot and mm -hmm. that we would become a de facto agent of the shadow. And in many of those, the shadow was barely seen until, uh, until the climax, uh, you huh. would feel his influence, but very interesting. Other ones were all about the shadow, all about the process. Um, there was a, uh, and we know him as Lamont Cranston, right? Uh, sort of the, yeah. one of the first of these wealthy industrialists, but of course in the pulps, he wasn't Lamont Cranston. Um, right. There was a Lamont Cranston, but he went in disguise as Lamont Cranston and told Lamont Cranston, I'm much better at being you than you are. I know more about your investments and your businesses than you do. All of your friends know me as you because Cranston was a world traveler. Mm -hmm. um, this is what I'm doing with your life. Why don't you go on holiday for a few years and stay out of my <laughs> way? And he did. Oh. <laughs> So he would just, and then every once in a while he'd have to assume another identity because Cranston would come home for a while. And uh, it wasn't until 1937, right before they were about to start the radio show, which was going to, sim mm -hmm. for simplicity's sake, cement the real identity as being Lamont Cranston. Uh, right. That mm -hmm. the that the Pulp said, uh, and, and Gibson said, yeah, to heck with that. Um, and had him come out as uh, lost aviator Kent Allard for no reason. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> and and they gave him the whole backstory, and he sort of just sits down and explains this to one of his aides. For again, <laughs> dramatically within that that particular issue, there's not much reason. Uh, but it's just like, yeah, mm. well, we're going to do this because. <laughs> and uh, the Allard thing was uh, quite, and he bounced back and forth between. But even then, there were other. I, I, um, other identities that he used and then gradually they kind of got tired of the Kent Allard thing mm -hmm. and uh, and eventually just stopped using it altogether but they kept Lamont Cranston around to the end but uh, yeah. um, but there were there were so many others that would take things to other extremes um, there's the spider and mm -hmm. in the spider cool. you look at the uh, the covers and you can see that they're trying to cut the shadows grass a little bit mm -hmm. because he's in the slouch hat. He's got a bit of a cape. He's got a domino mask. So it's a, a little bit different. It's sort of the very classic mystery man look. Mm -hmm. um, in, within the stories, that's not what the character looked like at all. He would make <laughs> his face up and put in like false teeth and, and make himself look like a hideous monster. 
Um, he's the, the, the spider, the master of men. Um, and But again, it was, you know, it was <laughs> Richard Wentworth. He was a, a, a wealthy man who had taken on fighting crime and injustice. And uh, uh, sort of the, 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 the great hope of that period was mm. that there was no imagining of superpowers. The superpower right. was having the resources to do good and choosing to do good instead of looking after your own self-interest was seen as such a rare quality. It was effectively a superman. Right. Um, and, right. uh, uh, huh. but in, in the spider novels, the, the villains were so fiendish. Mm -hmm. You always knew what the, the villains in a shadow novel were doing. They were trying to, they were trying to make some money. They were trying to steal something. They were trying to swindle someone out of their inheritance. Um, in, uh, the spiders, New York was not a place where you wanted to live. It's like sort of contemporary Gotham. Um, where it's just like, is it, is every villain in town like a complete psychopath who murders people by the thousands? Because this is, this is nuts. Um, yeah, the, the tragedy level is just cranked up to 11. They're great stories, but they're exhausting because every single part is just dripping with, oh, they're so violent and, uh, you know, the entire city's being held hostage by, uh, you know, it's, it's, oh, one to another. Um, so they're, they're great, but it's like you have to go away and read something else for a while after two or three of them because... You just need a shower after reading them. Okay. <laughs> you, you do because it's... Or just to... Just, just, just to, just to rest. I mean, they're, you, you literally, you can't stop reading them once you've started, mm -hmm. but once you've, once you've reached a natural stopping point, it's, it's a good idea to take yeah. a little break because they're, um, <laughs> but even then so many break. mystery men, um, there was, a it was the phantom detective, uh, was, uh, oh, he's, mm -hmm. he's a pretty good one. I've, I've read a number of his, uh. Uh, um, and really, if he had a claim to fame other than the fact that he had the exact same costume as every other mystery man, but he did it with a top hat, uh, oh, you know, okay. like every, uh, it's exactly what you get with every other mystery man, but he's got a top hat. Uh, and, uh, but uh, they, they still managed to be fun. <laughs> they managed to be a lot of fun. Uh, so those really were the stories that brought me into the pulps. And then there are, I mean, there are mm -hmm. people... In in this country, who who really uh, uh, no um, no pulps uh, and uh, and have put together some uh, um, some terrific shows that are uh, usually they're like an annual thing. There was one in Toronto when we were there that uh, um, was just you know it'd be a small room in the um, it's a library on College Street and uh, they they do it in a room downstairs and it's just beautiful just so many books in such beautiful condition and they've all got that that slight smell of the the cheap paper that they were printed on um as it ages <laughs> it releases a kind of vinegary smell and if you uh, if you've got your your pulps bagged and, and you open it up just a little bit and you just it's just that that smell is like nothing else and it means adventure um but uh some some beautiful um uh beautiful books and uh and and you know really nice folks who who travel around and and take this kind of thing very seriously i used to uh you know i i do have a small collection um uh and uh that i i really stopped adding to when uh i had children mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> not because they're you know 
they're it's not because they you know do any harm to the books other than the fact that you know they directly compete with them for disposable income of course um <laughs> but uh no i was just uh, I, I had occasion to uh 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 to look through some of them the other day and uh, uh including one that was like my favorite shadow cover that i actually forgot i found a copy of a, a short time before i stopped uh actively uh collecting it's a, an issue called the city of crime uh and it was just uh, it's it's a, a beautiful cover um <sighs> but of course the difficult thing is with those old books it's it's very hard to to justify um, reading them uh, and actually flipping through the pages. It's a wonderful experience, but they're delicate and they're old uh, and they're precious. Uh, these things that were never meant to be precious, these things that were never meant to be anything other than kind of disposable. Um, and uh, they were so much, so much more than that. Uh, so... It's 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 funny the things that become treasures. Yeah, it is. Wow, that's really amazing. So, how many books do you think you own, Greg? My my collection is 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 very uh, modest um, because it's it's an expensive thing uh, to do. Really, I've got you know one shelf of uh, precious stuff like that, but. Uh, okay. So, Greg, we want to ask you about that whole uh, pseudonym thing. So. You said that often different writers would have different pseudonyms that they'd write under. And that it, of course, you know, the nom de plume is a grand writer tradition. And I forgot what I was just about to say. Don, continue. Oh, oh yeah, because I was going to say, um, what were what were some of the reasons why guys would use different names? Well, uh, a lot of times, actually, it was the, the publishing house that wanted, for example, again, to come back to the shadow because it's the one that I know best. Mm -hmm. There, mm -hmm. uh, Street and Smith wanted to own the name of the writer. They didn't, if they said it's a Walter Gibson novel and then the shadow had become very popular and Walter Gibson had got a better offer from down the street, he could go and take his name with him. Mm. But if, you know, if they own the character and they own the name of the writer... Uh, Theodore Tinsley was the the second most prolific um, uh, writer of the Shadow Pulps. Uh, I think I think Gibson wrote two hundred and thirty odd. Um, uh, Tinsley wow. um, maybe Tinsley was maybe like fifty or sixty. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but uh, uh, and his had their own style, but he was very much up on you know uh, what these things. Uh, were and then how, how they went. You can tell a Tinsley when you're reading it now with the benefit of hindsight, but uh, at the, at the mm -hmm. time, you know, because they were always a little bit different. So it was it was really more of a choice of uh, the publishing house and essentially of the writers having no particular <laughs> rights over their own uh, own material at all right. um, beyond you know getting a paycheck for it, I suppose. <laughs> At a time when that was hard to come by, I mean, you know, yeah. it's uh, he wrote a novel pretty much every two weeks, but uh, he also, you know, kept a roof over his head and uh, food on the table through the depression, writing books. So that's good on you. Yeah, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, yeah, that's good work. So yeah. was that standard practice then? Are most of the famous pulp quote unquote writers actually uh, created names? I don't know about uh, most. Certainly, uh, particularly as you got into the later. Uh, period 
um, as uh, the detective novel and the Western and the science fiction stories really took over. And mm-hmm. in those cases, it was a lot of them were anthology stories. So there wasn't an advantage right. to having a house yeah. name. Um, they would allow mm-hmm. writers like Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler to cultivate their own identity um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there were there were certain certain magazines that the, were the home of that style of writing um, that were popular and well known enough that they didn't necessarily need to bully the writers around like that. Uh, but uh, uh, but no, there there were a lot for sure, and in the 30s it was very common practice. So was yeah. Lester Dent who created the Doc Savage, was that his real name? Uh, Lester Dent to... Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> if you don't know, it's okay. I believe... I believe... And you might want to... You might want to Google this before you... No, but no, I, I, I think that's a... I think that's a made-up name as well. Okay. Um, and uh, that he was actually also written by a number of guys. Again, a, one principal writer. Doc Savage, uh, I, I like... I... I I always wanted to like Doc Savage more than I did. Uh, and it was, again, again, you know, mm-hmm. he was the man mm-hmm. who's, yes, he was the light to uh, the shadows, uh, dark, both Street and Smith. And, and they're often, you know, compared to, uh, made out to be the, the Batman and Superman of their era in that way. But uh, uh, Clark Savage mm-hmm. Jr.'s uh, power was that he was good at everything. There was no okay. superpower. He was just, you know, the peak human physical and mental condition yeah. he could do everything but he had these uh assistants uh who were such dorks <laughs> and uh and i wanted to and i just i'd get past it you know like you know the uh, them always fighting and always arguing and always having you know these uh expressions that they would say that uh, you're like okay yeah you uh, you're gonna say that again are you uh, and then then they had pets <laughs> Like there was, there was a pet pig and I'm like, oh, no, yeah. this is just, I can't, you know, it's, I, I, I really wanted to like them more than I did, but mm-hmm. I think they were just, uh, they just spun a little, a, a little, um, uh, young for me, mm-hmm. um, which in a way was, uh, part of the, uh, the longevity of the character because uh, a lot of these things ended up being uh, reprinted is in paperbacks with very little editing mm-hmm. um, into yeah, the right. 60s and 70s um, and just sort of sold as, uh, as a superhero story because uh, uh, because they did skew that way. Yeah. Uh, so, so Doc Savage has never been my jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I used to have more data at my uh, at the at the tip of my tongue uh, and I apologize to uh, no. there are Doc Savage fans yeah. like literally screaming <laughs> at their computers right now <laughs> listening to this incompetent boob kind of talking about it again as I said at the beginning not an expert just an enthusiast mm-hmm. um, but uh, uh, but yes there were there were, there were a, a lot of uh, writers who um, and they weren't they weren't trying to hide their identity um, uh, they were it was the publishing houses that wanted it that way okay actually you mentioned about like you felt that the doc savage stuff was a little young that brings to mind something was there any kind of like rating system for pulp magazines like how did they handle like content I mean now no? I'm going to again I, I feel like it was LaGuardia. Okay, mm-hmm. but maybe it wasn't. 
Maybe it was just another mayor of New York, and LaGuardia is just the only name I know other than Ed Koch. Okay. <laughs> um, but there was uh, there was a, 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 a there was a mayor of New York who had a, a huge campaign against the pulps, and in particular against the spices, mm-hmm. mm. uh, because there and there was a completely unrelated series of publications. That would be, you know, spicy detectives, spicy adventures, spicy mm-hmm. this, spicy. Anything spicy would have uh, the the most enticing, allowable picture of a young lady in some terrible distress. Mm-hmm. Um, she's at the point of a pistol and she's leaning way back and her eyes are wide open in terror and there's a thug coming in and her dress is slightly sliding off her shoulder on one side and it's mm-hmm. you know and some of them were you know actually you look at it and you go yeah that that one crosses the line a little there now I, mean, I don't know what to say about that uh, but uh, uh, a, a lot of them you're like this is what a lot of people think of when they think of the pulps is they think of the covers of the spices right um, and these things were displayed openly on every newsstand and magazine stand was not just selling the daily newspaper um, mm-hmm. but was what uh, was also selling racks and racks of uh, of uh, books and what right. the uh, um, you know a lot of the adventure books now, were trying well, to but make was the actual content of the spices um sorry to interrupt but, but was the actual content of the spices what we would consider like adult content or was that just the covers well now I mean, it was pretty racy for, you know, the mid-30s. Okay. Uh, would you actually, you know, was this porn? No, but would, you know, would you get a, a talking to from your mom if she caught you with one in the drawer? Yeah, probably. Uh, it was, uh, they were, uh, to say that they were lurid uh, for the period is is fair and accurate, and uh, uh, and they were not terribly uh, progressive at, mm-hmm. at all. You know, right. uh, I can. Um, it's uh, it, they hover right around uh, the the yellow peril books in terms of their, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's definitely a part of the era. Mm. And you can't pretend that it's not there. And there are people still who are, you know, right into the covers. And they're beautifully painted. Like, oh, my gosh. The the the, the original artwork on any uh, uh, pulp cover is incredible. Mm-hmm. They had uh, um, – there is a museum that is uh, built around surviving uh, uh, pulp art, a museum or exhibit – uh, of that that does some touring and some of the stuff that survives is is fantastic and you look and you go wow i'm, I'm so glad that that made it um but then there are other mm-hmm. times like they they cleaned out the the storerooms at street and smith when they were closing down by taking everything out and putting it at the curb and that happened and wow. a, a lot of folks mm-hmm. just took stuff home who worked there as a souvenir mm-hmm. Um, and then there are other folks who literally picked them up off the curb and carried them away. But at that point, nobody really wanted them. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't even think about it. And they're stacked up like cordwood waiting for, for the trash man to come. And it's a tragedy because this was brilliant yeah. and beautiful artwork. Again, 
not unlike the the work that the that the writers were doing it had to be fast it had to fit a formula um but uh that doesn't mean that it was uh, not also uh good work right yeah. um and uh um certainly in terms of form and iconography uh we still feel its influence in the way that we would uh, compose uh an image in uh, in a comic book um or in films that derive from that tradition um a, a, a lot of this can be traced to uh, the the um the the motion and the energy of the uh of the artists working for the pulps uh, so yeah, the spices they they were a thing, and if someone and when I meet someone who's super into them, I I don't judge. Um, but at the same time, um, uh, yeah, you sort of eh, not exactly progressive. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So okay, so back to my part of my earlier question. So Laguardia, we'll assume it's Laguardia, campaigned against um, the. Sp- the spices. Yeah, um, uh, it was and and it was it was a it was a big campaign, um, uh, like uh, almost like a temperance campaign of trying to get the spices off the racks or get them covered up. Um, but there's uh, not there wasn't much that could really be done mm-hmm. uh, because they weren't breaking any laws. Uh, and you can argue right. that, you know, sexy dames is speech mm-hmm. too, when you're talking about free speech. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, it didn't, uh, it didn't work out that well for him, but yeah, a lot of time and energy. Mm. Well, okay. Well, it kept him busy, I guess. And it made, it looked good on the campaign. <laughs> that's really, that's, that's exactly right. I think that's what, I think that's what it was about more than anything else was, uh, uh, an attempt to, uh, uh, to uh, look morally upstanding. But again, I base this on some pretty sketchy uh, knowledge of New York politics at the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. green is all there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Don, you had a question. I was going to point out, cause yeah, yeah. You've mentioned that a few times that they were, the, the pulps were a product of their time. And I think that's interesting. Cause if you go kind of to the pre pulps, like say the, the penny dreadful era, the, the late 1800s and that, when you had um, the advent of the newspaper as well, there wasn't a big difference between them. Like, they would do uh, newspaper stories that used the same language and the same imagery that a lot of, say, the, the, the pulp detective stories would later on. A lot of them used the same imagery and the same ideas. Because you had, um, like, uh, the best example would be Jack the Ripper that the London papers were presenting him using the same language and imagery that a lot of the pulp detective stories and that would use just a, like a decade or so later. Well, for sure. I like to remind people when they, uh, when they're looking down their nose at the pulps that, uh, <laughs> that Charles Dickens was a pulp writer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like the man got yeah. paid by the word and his, <laughs> uh, his, and sometimes you can tell. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, like little Nell wasn't dying for that long for no reason. It's because people were grabbing those issues out of each other's (laughs) hands to see, you know, oh, please, Mr. Dickens, don't kill poor little Nell. Um, And uh, and it was serialized and a a different format, but it was the same kind of of thing. You're creating Mm -hmm. um, fiction 
for a mass audience on a scale that we would only see, not even with television anymore, I think really only with movies, because television has become so fragmented like the, uh, uh, like the music mm-hmm. industry that maybe the only thing that has that mm-hmm. sort of yeah. potential for universal reach is, uh, uh, is, is film. Um, and that's mm-hmm. something that changes from era to era. You know, there was a um, uh, there was a time when if you were watching Jack Benny, you could be or listening to Jack Benny before that, you could be fairly certain you were enjoying this experience with a plurality of Americans. Um, and uh, th- and there mm-hmm. isn't really something for day and date that has that exact same kind of impact. But for a while there, uh, for a while there, it was reading, and mm-hmm. that is something that is uh, magical and something that I don't think is impossible to recreate on some scale. Mm-hmm. I think there are, I think there are genres that the publishing industry has uh, walked away from. I think mm-hmm. there yeah. are readers that the publishing industry has walked away from and that it has in certain sectors become uh, a little rarefied. Mm-hmm. and a little precious and mm-hmm. a little very interested in itself. Yeah. And, and it can be a product of of the environment where you can say, well, if this is how everyone is going to treat us, we may as well just be that way. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, um, uh, you see commentary that suggests that, well, you know, men don't really read. I say, well, are you writing anything that we might like to? Mm-hmm. Uh uh, to to suggest that you there are audiences that you can't reach um, yeah. suggests that maybe you've given up trying mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and that's you know take that for what you will again not an expert just an enthusiast mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but um, uh, uh, but that is that is how I feel sometimes hmm. well it makes sense because that's um if you look at the internet, no matter what you can think of, no matter the medium, no matter the genre, right now somebody's producing new versions of it. Usually involving think... porn. <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes, yeah, for certain. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> there um, might be some naked pictures on the internet. There might. Yeah. <laughs> there might be a few. There might be a few. But uh, but there's also you know uh, scintillating conversations like this floating around on the internet. So <laughs> it true. definitely it has some value as well in in all yeah. that sea of boobies. I just said sea of boobies in a conversation. Yes, you did. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm going to call that a good day's work. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so so let's move forward then. So, Greg, how do you think that the pulps have affected modern media? Like, how do you think that the pulps have carried have been carried on through um, time? I guess you could say to, to the modern era. Well, the thing that carries through, I think, the most strongly with a, a direct link is science fiction, um, mm-hmm. because the science fiction anthology magazines, particularly as they as they ran through the fifties, there was brilliant work. Mm-hmm. being created um uh, anthology short stories do you know anyone who just like for fun reads anthology short stories because there was a time when everyone did 
Hmm. That's true. Uh, and and it meant that these these popular mass media stories were created there. I know a, a lot of them even much better through you know X minus one and programs that later mm-hmm. adapted those, and that led directly to uh, the uh, uh, to the development of the classic Twilight Zone uh, stories and formats, mm-hmm. um, which led to uh, to so many other things as science fiction as um, both as you know. A, a genre about space, which we currently enjoy, mm-hmm. um, but also as a way of imagining what could be, uh, which was right. really the strength mm-hmm. of the science fiction uh, of, of that era, and that directly came out of the pulps. Um, the uh, uh, the Western pulps were tremendously popular and very influential mm-hmm. uh, at the time, much mm-hmm. more so than the science fiction pulps because the Western was an incredibly popular genre. It was Mm -hmm. something where you could engage in that same level of fantasy and speculation and adventure, but all you really needed was, um, uh, you know, some relatively arid landscape and some rocks and a horse. Right. Those were your special effects for creating those movies. Um, So those were huge. There really hasn't been any success in revitalizing the the Western genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, every once in a while something comes up and people are like, wow, that was something. Uh, and then it passes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think that it's necessarily ever going to be that influential again. Um, but a, a lot of stories and writers that came out of the, the Western pulps went on to create um, even more um, uh, mass market uh, uh, materials and uh, ways of looking at things, and of course, the mm-hmm. uh, the the western did influence uh, the adventure genres and those kind of storytelling that came past yeah. it. Um, the hero pulps were the direct precursors to um, uh, to comic books, uh, and comic books gave us the modern idea of the superhero Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. certainly in terms of, you know, mass media influence, there's nothing right now this Mm -hmm. day in 2016 that is of a a wider mass market influence than, than that creation of, uh, you know, the, the mystery man uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, protects others from, no, that's, that's huge right now. Uh, you know, 40 mm-hmm. years from now, will that have gone the way of the Western? And it's like, every once in a while, someone makes one and say, wow, that's something. And then it goes its way. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, Steven Spielberg thinks so. I think Steven Spielberg whines about his parents' divorce too much. So, <laughs> you know, we uh, opinions vary. Uh, mm-hmm. Nothing, uh, certainly nothing lasts forever. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, S- Steven, I don't really mean that, buddy. You know, you're, you're my baby. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, honestly, I cried at E.T., uh, I still do, um, but uh, uh, no, it's um, beca- because it was such a uh, an immensely creative and such an active uh, uh, period of writing and mm-hmm. reading and mm-hmm. engaging with this again very disposable um, uh, literature, but because it was uh, consumed on such a scale that it had the potential to influence. Um, a, a mass audience, yeah. uh, in a way that you know. I mean, you you, you see, um, we're all uh, in uh, in Canada, and, and you know, like a, 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 a something that's called a bestseller in Canada often sells maybe five thousand copies. Wow! In in a country of you know 
what is it, 33 million people? About that, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, some sell more, obviously, but that's that's sort of a minimum threshold. And that's, you can't influence more than 5,000 people <laughs> uh, with those kind of sales numbers. So it's, uh, um, uh, but in, in those days, the writing and, and, and reading um, was uh, something that was in, enjoyed on, in, in just such a different way mm-hmm. yeah. that it continues to have echoes and, and uh, repercussions and things are reinvented and reinvented that people don't realize what they're reinventing anymore. Right. Um, yeah. And that's okay because it was never meant to be precious. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I feel funny when I, you know, I take a, a pulp magazine out of its, uh, you know, protective Mylar bag. <laughs> um, and I'm like, wow, this was never supposed to, this was never supposed to still exist. Mm-hmm. You know, this is from 1934 and it cost 10 cents. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, and there was another one just like it came out two weeks later. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous that this still exists, and I'm, but I'm I'm glad that it does. It's wonderful. Yeah. Hmm. Me too. Yeah, because the one the one thing I think the uh, like the 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 pulp era, especially like the golden period of it, the best part was everybody was just going gonzo, and there was absolutely no self consciousness about anything. No time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well that rewrites? What are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. Well well that yeah, like like you said about the spider, like every villain was threatening thousands of people because you were always trying to be bigger and flashier than the last story. And I find nowadays, especially with like the nerdly arts, they're held back a lot because there's always this no, we have to make it plausible and it ties in with this continuity and oh no, the people on the internet will be upset. There was also, yeah, you're right. There was always very much a sense of um, uh, everything was kind of self-contained. Mm-hmm. You can, there are very, very few um, stories throughout the run of the shadow where um, it's effectively like a, a kind of like a two-part. Mm-hmm. One leads into another. Um, there are a handful of villains who came back. Mm-hmm. Um, more than once, I have two of the, of the um, maybe five or six issues that uh, uh, Shaiwan Khan uh, appeared in, um, but uh, and uh, and both of the Wasp, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, yeah, and not a lot, and 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 that becomes sort of the the cross that that comics has to bear, mm-hmm. yeah. where you know people have passionate angry opinions but they're they're going they're not going to continue to buy the issue unless you kill someone off every six or seven issues or renumber it as a new number one or change someone's costume or have them lose their powers or have someone take you can only do it so many times yeah yeah Um, but if you don't but if you stop doing it they won't buy past issue eight or nine yeah so it's it's a difficult thing, mm-hmm. um, and if I knew what the answer to that was, I would be trying to peddle it to the comics industry because I think they really <laughs> need an answer. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, I don't know. I feel the same way as uh, as a reader. I will often drift away mm-hmm. um, if there isn't a reason to stay, 
but most of the things that they use as events or reasons to stay just kind of angry up my blood and mm. don't make me interested <laughs> in doing that anymore. So yeah, um, it's a uh, it's it's a uh, they're in a difficult spot. Mm-hmm. Well, especially considering they have to make quarterly profits. Yeah. Don't we all, baby? Don't we all? <laughs> oh, that's true. That's Quarterly profits true. are a fine thing. They're a cornerstone of our democracy. That's true. I became like a, a Kennedy or something there. For a while. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Or possibly Clinton. I can't tell. My American presidents are about as good as my New York mayor. Well, okay. You should be running for the Democratic Party. I think you might win. Sure. Well, what are the hours like? <laughs> Uh, I, I hear I hear they had their own movie theater in there. So. Well, yeah, 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 that's, that's true. That's, you can't argue with that, your own movie theater. <laughs> yeah, and he gets to see uh, – they just did that – there was just this announcement where Obama has already gotten to see the new season of Game of Thrones apparently. Huh. For some reason, they sent him screener copies of the whole new season already. Well, this is, you know, is this what you do in your eighth year as president? You know, they, <laughs> yeah. they won't, they won't, they won't let you actually do your job anymore. You can't appoint anyone to the Supreme Court or anything. But here's, here's your consolation prize. It's advanced screeners <laughs> of Game of Thrones. Exactly. And a copy of our home game. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Thank you, sir. That, that'll, that'll do perfect. Um, you know, it's interesting, actually, that the popes, in a way, are actually very much alive, but they're not alive, the spirit anyway, but they're not alive in English right now. They're actually alive in China, believe it or not. Um, and most of the Asian countries have this, I don't know about Europe, where they have a lot of, um, basically, serve, I don't want to call it a service, but basically there are sites you go to, and you basically read stories by the chapter. You like pay a penny or two to read a chapter of a story. You buy credits. To, that's how they get you. You buy credits, which are really pennies, basically. And you read stories. And there are people in China, authors, who are basically just churning out these Dickens-type serials right now who are making millions of dollars doing this. And it's become this huge industry in China, these web novels, as they call them. It's just unfortunately that we don't have something like that here, because if we did, we could probably actually get something similar to that pulp ethos going again. It is very unfortunate that we don't have that here. That that sounds like a pretty good gig, actually. I might have to... Uh... Might have to give second thought to the whole, you know, Democratic Party nomination thing because I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if there's time to crank out web novels on the side. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, in in your case though, you should get them translated to Chinese because mm. you because you've done your own novels, right? Your own pulp novels. I have a feeling that you know, the, having these things translated into Chinese would probably wipe out most of the problem. <laughs> I don't, you know. I haven't costed this. I really just heard about this just now. Right. But I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's probably not going to make me a lot of money. But uh, especially, you know, I'm not I'm not sure how I would go about doing that. Well, okay. Fair, fair enough. Uh, but yes, uh, you know, I, I, I uh, wrote some, uh, uh, some adventure books in, uh, in the tradition of the, of the, the hero pulps and things for, for uh, some of the characters I've created for Dakota Ring Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was uh, so, so fun to do. I bet it was. Um, so, uh, so enjoyable. I really, I intended to do one and ended up doing four. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't sound like a lot next to Walter Gibson or anything. But I, <laughs> I was also at the time, you know, 
uh, writing and producing uh, a, a full cast audio drama mm-hmm. every you know every two weeks. So for like ten years. So yeah. uh, so take that, Walter. You is my brother in arms, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That absolutely. You if if anything, I think you have greatly contributed to a love of the pulps for many modern podcast listeners. I think yeah. that um, yeah, many of them are only just become aware of the pulps because of Dakota Ring Theater. Yeah. I hope so. That's that would be a, a, a lovely legacy to be able to give uh, some further exposure and in so doing some uh, some new life uh, to characters and uh, creators who have inspired me so much and, and given me so much pleasure uh, with their creations that uh, it, it inspired me to take up the torch. Mm. Um, that would be a, yeah, that's a nice thought. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I uh, truly believe that. Um, so, so actually I should ask you then, so what is the future for Dakota ring theater? I know that the red panda has sort of ended. Um, what do you, do you plan on adding any new characters to your roster or anything like that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the, the red panda is, uh, doing its thing and i often um just to uh, i'm very fond of the uh uh uh, american uh, detective writer uh, robert parker who Mm -hmm. wrote the spencer novels among Mm -hmm. other things and uh he had um and i I haven't read his his uh western books Mm -hmm. uh uh but there was um he wrote uh had sort of started in on a series there uh um later in his life and one of the last things that I read sort of updated on his site was that uh, um, he had no plans to write more about them, but he wouldn't like not writing more about them. So he imagined he would eventually. Mm-hmm. And I think and I think a few weeks later he died. Ooh. So uh, I don't want to uh, um, make any sort of pronouncements that would uh, uh, prompt uh, any kind of... Uh, uh, an ironic repeat of that fate. Uh-huh. Oh, naturally, um, yes. Uh, naturally, I'm a very cautious man in that regard. Uh, but um, uh, I, I wouldn't like not writing about Kit and Gus mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that I always will. Right. Okay, fair um, enough. But in what form and in what way, I don't know. We're trying some different stuff um, for next season and, and just uh, uh, doing – things that are the same and are also completely different Mm -hmm. um and uh um uh working on some some video comic projects and and things like that that uh, that i hope that our audiences are going to enjoy and where it goes past that uh i i don't know Mm -hmm. um but i've never really known right uh so uh it's uh you know it gets to a point where you, you don't adventure. want to mm-hmm. you don't want to run out of uh of things to say mm-hmm. um but that just becomes after a while like is this even a rational fear if it hasn't happened yet right <laughs> uh so um I, I try not to plan too far ahead um but uh sometimes these things just have a, a way of carrying me away mm-hmm. well mm. that's that's natural yeah mm. Okay. Well, I think we should probably bring this to a close. I'm sure, you know, we've we've kept Greg up late enough. Yes, I should probably I should probably do that, yes. So Greg, thank you very much for coming on and yeah. talking with us about the pulp. It's been absolutely amazing to have you here with us. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm sure that our listeners learned a lot and 
Hopefully we can have you again on sometime to talk about actually the Red Panda and Dakota Ring Theater and its whole mm-hmm. genesis as well. Well, that is something that I actually know something about. So <laughs> I'd be I'd be there in, on that. I am both an enthusiast and an expert. So that would be a different thing for me. Well, again, thanks for coming on. Everyone, thanks for listening and uh, good night. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!